This is Central Carolina Journal, a program that highlights events, programs, and slices of life happening throughout our communities. I'm Fred Brucker. Thanks for joining us. Election season is upon us in North Carolina. In this election, many important positions are being voted on, including one U.S. Senate seat, all members of the U.S. House of Representatives, state legislators, and several judges. Many counties are also electing several officials, including for sheriff and for members of the County Board of Commissioners. These officials have significant influence on the laws of the state and the county in which you reside. And with a lot more attention being paid to laws at the state level, you may want to pay attention to who is running for these positions and make your voice heard on who you think would be best to fit those positions. Recently, a forum was hosted by the library at Central Carolina Community College that focused on civil literacy, voting, and community engagement. This nonpartisan event, titled Putting the You in Community, was hosted by outreach and assessment librarian Morgan Pruitt and had a panel that included faculty members Robert Barnes and Bianca Stumpf, as well as Claire Jones of the Harnett County Board of Elections. Today's episode of Central Carolina Journal will share highlights of this panel discussion that took place on October 6th. In the online version of this episode at www.883wuaw.com forward slash ccj, we will share links to the entire unedited YouTube video, as well as links to several resources that you might find helpful. Just look for episode 2219. For now, though, let's go to the conversation, as hosted by Morgan Pruitt. is how do you define civic literacy? For my area of the world, civic literacy is having the knowledge and skills of participating in elections, being involved in the community, having your voice heard. You want to make sure you're familiar with the government processes, election processes, and how to be involved in that. You know, certainly knowing the form and function of the government and really lots of institutions that aren't even just governmental, societal institutions, I think is kind of the backbone of civic literacy. In candor, sometimes I think that literacy is the foundation, but like ideally we're moving people like through what Robert and I do in classrooms, I hope we're moving people beyond just being civically literate, but feeling not just knowledgeable, but invested and becoming the kind of participants that then Claire registers and ensures that when they are being active, she's there. You know what I mean? Like, so I think that sometimes we could grow our view of the importance of civic literacy to civic investment. I think those are both great definitions here. I agree wholeheartedly. I, I really view civic literacy as not just simply knowing what voting is and where to vote and how to vote, but also the institutions of our government, our own rights and responsibilities as citizens in this democratic republic to make sure that we understand the system itself and how we can best participate in that. How can we think about civic literacy as a process rather than a destination? For me, it's more of a process than a destination because rules and procedures are always changing. You could sit here and learn everything you need to know about it right now, but in five, 10 years from now, it'll be much different. 
I can tell you from when I first started to today, there's been so many changes with rules and regulations. So you can't just learn it, feel involved, and then think you're done. It's, you're, it's a constant learning, updating, and processing changes. And two, I think to Claire's point, one of the ways that we can think of it is the information is currently and always evolving, but focus on being the kinds of participants who can identify what makes something a good source of information when we're informing ourselves about how to be participatory. Information literacy is important, how to find good sources and be discriminating and critical thinkers about the information that we consume so that we are making informed decisions. I also think schools have an important role to play. I have often felt disheartened when schools gut civic education courses or social studies education maybe doesn't have as many tests, um, but also just time in maybe, say, elementary school classrooms. I feel like if we would emphasize civics beyond a course in high school in a really substantive way throughout children's K-12 education, then it would be seen as a process and not just like a course you take and a vote that you cast, that it really is about being a consumer of information and being a discriminating consumer of information all the time. I actually really liked this question in particular, because for me, when I see destination, that, that's an end, right? Like you're done with something at your destination. And our system is so complex. I kind of feel reassured by the fact that nobody knows it all. Like even, even Claire here is our expert from Harnett County, but just broadly across North Carolina, there is so much more to know. So for me, I think this is all about just constant self-improvement, understanding more, uh, and, and just becoming a, a, a better participant in, in our um, political system. Why is civic participation important? It is very important because you have to be aware of the issues that are out there, but you also have to realize that you also have input into the system. You can't have input if you're not participating. And one of the examples I like to use when I talk to especially younger people, when there's only a handful of people that vote, those people are making the decisions for the majority. An example that I use is, let's say your school, let's say Central Carolina decides to have an election and it's a yes or no question. Do you want more homework on the weekends? And as a student, you think to yourself, oh, well, students outnumber the teachers. We're going to win this. I'm not worried about voting. And then only 20 kids vote, but 35 of your teachers vote. And it's very well you can end up with homework on the weekends because you didn't take that step to be involved in that process. So it is very important to be aware of the issues and then also be involved in it so that your input can be used as well. That's a great example. This question made me think of two favorite quotes, vignettes from early American history. One is reportedly, who knows if it's really true, that Ben Franklin, upon exiting the Constitutional Convention, was asked, Dr. Franklin, Dr. Franklin, what do we have? And supposedly he's pithy with everything he ever said. So it's a republic if you can keep it. So this notion of the responsibility because really, I think that is what we're all given. There are many places in the world where they don't have this right, but we have this right to be engaged. So I think we need to be responsible with that privilege that we have, because from the very beginning, our social contract with this place was 
that we were going to live in a republic and that it was our responsibility. And I just feel like it's an obligation. And it's sort of like I have an uncle who always says, if you don't vote, you can't complain. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but like, I, I understand the sentiment in it, right? Like you've ceded your stake when you don't meet your obligation, your responsibility as a citizen in a world, in a global context where a lot of people are currently in conflict to get what we might take for granted. Having fully grown up in the United States of America, it is very easy to underappreciate this right of civic participation. It's something you've always had. It's just commonplace. And I spent a lot of time looking at how revolutionary this is in the history of the world, how our Constitution is a, a phenomenal document of the Enlightenment. And even pulling back from the old lessons of, of ancient Greece and ancient Rome, where this was a, a almost like sacred responsibility within society. This is how you get your ideas out into the open and people like you elected government and affect real change within your society. So I think in a democratic republic, civic participation is critical. That's why many of our ancient philosophers like Plato worked so diligently on these ideas of civic virtue, of being able to make these sacrifices for the proper functioning of your society. And I'll say, too, um, I sometimes encounter students who have a distaste for participating because they feel like that's being too political and like they are not interested in that. But we always go back to the Constitution, you know, Madison writing in the Federalist Papers, you know, if men were angels, we wouldn't need a government, basically. Well, they're not. And so whether or not you find this always appealing, it has been and is what we've agreed to sustain. And so I think the responsibility piece just can't be underemphasized. It's so important. I'm going to jump in with one more old story from history here, right. <laughs> uh, and that is uh, George Washington effectively coming out of retirement to serve as our first president because he viewed this really as an obligation. So we've got another question. I would like to learn more about the history of suffrage. What books would you recommend? Well, I had shared a handful that are maybe a little less conventional. I'd love to use images with students. There are two books that I've used in class that are postcard histories of the women's suffrage movement. And so one of the campaign strategies for women getting suffrage is using postcards. And so there are two books that I've recommended that are largely almost like coffee table pictorial reads with these images, with these really interesting postcards that were used, you know, designs that would have a woman not serving up a pie to her kids, but serving up the constitution, you know, like all of these sort of interesting persuasions visual means to encourage people to re-examine roles for women and ratify the amendment allowing women to vote. And then the other one for women's suffrage, I had a student recommend to me a graphic novel a few semesters ago called She the People rather than We the People. And it is basically a graphic history of not just women's suffrage and the equal rights amendment debate, but just like women's place in civic culture and life in general. But because it's a graphic novel, I think it can really appeal to young readers as well. So those are two kind of unconventional, not typical secondary sources that might be of interest. Robert, what do you have? I've got some more uh, traditional textbook style for you guys. So if you want a real deep dive into the history of democracy and voting in the United States of America, I recommend Alexander Kesar's The Right to Vote, A Contested History of Democracy in the United States. He is a very influential member of the political science department at Harvard University, and it is a very thorough, broad overview, but it does have more of a textbook style read. So 
a little bit lighter, I've got Thank You for Voting by Aaron Smith and Democracy in One Book or Less by David Litt. There are actually, I have found some very informative, like an idiot's guide to US politics and dummy's guide to government. They are surprisingly informative starting points, especially for younger students. To narrow it down by subject, give us the ballot, the 1965 Voting Rights Act by Ari Berman. It's a really good look at beyond the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment, the struggle to actually achieve greater voting equality within the African-American uh, voting rights movement. For the women's suffrage movement, uh, Sisters, the Lives of America's Suffragettes, it's a great book that'll give you brief biographies of critical women leader from Seneca Balls all the way to 20th century. Another great book series I like to recommend is Women Who Dare, and they've got a women's suffrage specific edition that's by Ruth and Sinclair. And then again, back to just a comprehensive textbook, because I'm a history teacher, uh, Century of Struggle, the Women's Rights Movement in the United States of America by Flexner and Fitzpatrick, also highly recommended. I'll just add in, and I'm sure people listening are like, oh, these history teachers with their recommendations. I'll tell you too, in this instance, like for women's suffrage, sometimes reading the actual documents themselves are not that intimidating. You know, the Declaration of Sentiments, Women's Rights Convention in 1848, they kind of drafted their version of a founding document, borrowed a lot of language from other founding documents, including the Declaration of Independence most heavily. That is a five-minute read aloud, and that's if you have, you know, dramatic pauses. I had also shared with Morgan a couple of the founding documents related to voting. I mean, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 isn't exactly an exciting read, but I mean, man, the Supreme Court is taking it up again as we speak. So that's a pretty compelling read. It's a little more technical, but the National Archives have copy that's annotated. The old PBS series Eyes on the Prize was a really popular televised Black history experience many years ago, but several of their episodes that tell the story of the Black civil rights movement are voting-centric because that was such a critical goal for the Black civil rights movement. And then one more graphic novel, John Lewis, recently enough deceased, but longtime member of Congress and a civil rights activist. He collaborated with an atlanta based graphic novelist, and they have a trilogy, which are graphic novel depictions of his life and lots of things about Selma and then eventually him being instrumental in the Voting Rights Act. That's how you get your best understanding, right, is reading contextually and then looking at some sources and then what some people do that may be a little different with the sources. And I want to add on there, Bianca, I, I just recently checked this for our uh, students and employees. The complete eyes on the prize volume one and two is now available on NC Live. So I'm trying to take advantage of that. And then just a, a minor plug here for free accessible resources. Uh, OpenStax U.S. History Textbook has a lot of great information. And if you want just a ton of easily accessible primary sources, uh, the American Yop Reader as well. I love good book recommendations. And not to distract from the panel, but I do want to say that the library is always here to help you. So if you see a book that you want, let us know. We would love to get our hands on it for you. We can get it from another library. We actually have the John Lewis series. So feel free to request those. If you want a book, if you want a source, we will hunt it down for you and find it. So I will move on to the next question. When you go to vote or when you participate in civic responsibilities, what are some things you should know? What should I bring with me when I go to vote? As long as you are registered and everything is active with your record, you do not need anything to vote. When you go to vote, you'll be asked to state your name and your address. 
but I don't know if your mom ever told you don't ever leave home without your ID. So it's still nice to just have something with you just in case. But for most of the instances, you won't have to have anything with you. I'm going to ask a clarifying question to follow up, which is, is this something that is consistent across um, North Carolina as a state or is it county by county? This is consistent across the state. Yes. Let's say that I'm registered to vote, but would like to update my registration to my current address. How do I go about doing that? There's actually several ways that you can do that. Um, We do have the forms on the website. We have forms in our office. We can mail forms to you. It's just a registration form. Lots of libraries have registration forms. You can, if you have to update your license, you can do that at DMV. If you currently have a DMV license, you can do that online through the DMV as well. So there are lots of opportunities out there to register and vote. If you're doing any kind of government assistance, they do registrations there as well. The employment agency has registration. So pretty much anywhere you look, you can probably find a registration form. I wanted to say here, what should I bring with me when I go to vote? Kind of lightheartedly, a well-informed opinion, right? Having done your research ahead of time before you go to vote. But for young people especially, do not take selfies when you go to vote. That get yourself in a lot of trouble. I will say it is illegal to take a picture of a ballot. So if you want to take your picture, you can take it as you're walking in or after you've left. (laughs) Yeah, I saw a lot of discussion about whether or not you could or should bring your phone. And people say you can have notes just like on a sheet of paper, but any pictures could result in in actual charges. Yeah, and they won't take your phone away from you if you come in with it, but they will tell you not to take pictures. That is great information. Thank you. Sort of sounding on the same note about registration, let's say I have moved and I didn't have time to update my registration 30 days before the election. Can I still vote? How do I do that? Yes, you certainly can. We actually don't close the books until 25 days before. So for this upcoming election, the registration deadline is October 14th. So you can register up until that day. If you miss that deadline, you can still register and vote if you do that during early voting. Of course, because you've missed that deadline, you will need to bring more documents with you when you go to vote. You will need to bring what we call a HAVA document, which is a Help America Vote Act document. And so basically it can be a driver's license, but if you don't have that, it can also be a government document, a utility bill, or a bank statement that has your name and address. And you can do that at any early voting site. You cannot do that on election day though. If I choose to vote early, can I do so at any of the early polling stations or do I have to go to a particular one? So you can go to any early voting location that's in your county. If you live in Harnett County, we have four locations and you can go to any one of those. If you live in Harnett and you're going to school at Central Carolina in Lee County, then you still need to come back to Harnett County to do that. We do have all of our early voting locations on our website, and I know we have ours in Harnett, so if you did live in Lee or Chatham County, you would go to those respective websites to find those locations. But you can also go to the State Board of Elections website, and there you can find any early voting location anywhere within the state. How do I find my polling place? So again, I hate to keep putting people to the website because we have so many resources on our website as well as the State Board website. But if you called us, we can tell you where they're at as well. Is it possible for me to see a sample ballot before I go to vote? It is possible and it's highly recommended. I'm sure that the teachers on board would agree as well because looking at your sample ballot before you go helps you in that civic literacy. You can see who in your district is running. You can actually look up those people's information. Now, because we are a nonpartisan agency, we don't have information on 
candidates or referendums or any kind of information like that. So you would have to do a little bit of research on your end. I know there's lots of websites out there. Practice your civic literacy and, and knowing your resources, what are you looking at? But this is a good way to see what exactly you would have, what your options are, and then you can research those individually before you go to vote so that when you do get there, you're educated and you know exactly what you're doing when you do get there. There is a nonpartisan skim your ballot website that allows you to begin your research. I won't say that it's definitive. And then, of course, we know some issues will matter to some voters more than other issues. So, again, it's just a jumping off point. But my American history courses have used the skim as a news source and used that skim your ballot website. This one is tied to the upcoming midterm elections, which I will point out with sample ballots and this thought of elections. I do tell students sometimes, you know, we're approaching a midterm election to remember it's really easy for us to nationalize our thinking about elections. But in your day to day living, your city council representative, your school board representatives, I mean, they have such a dramatic county commissioners, you know, they have such a dramatic impact on your daily life to not be dismissive just because we're not maybe in a nationalized campaign season. So just a pitch for voting for those local referendums and candidates, not just thinking of things in the, the larger scope. And honestly, full disclosure, I've been voting in elections since back in the 20th century, and, and I still use the sample ballots just to make sure I am aware of everything that's on the ballot. And the wording, particularly of things that over the years that can be issue or amendment to constitution based and things like that, state constitution, the wording is so important for you to be knowledgeable about that. Sometimes it is not just a name that you're selecting. There have been instances of that as well. And, and I will add too that after every census, we redistrict. And so a lot of people may not realize that they're in a different district than they were, especially locally. A couple of years ago, you may have been in commissioner district or school district one, and now you're in district five. So having that simple ballot, you'll see that in advance. And then again, just to know the flow of the ballot. For example, in Harnett County, our ballots are two-sided, but there's only one race on the back side. So if you went and voted and weren't familiar with how your ballot looked, you could possibly miss that race on the back. So it's definitely good to have that and be prepared before we go vote. Can I vote by mail for any election, even local ones? Now, this is also going to depend a lot on where you live at and what municipality you're in. So for Harnett County, we do have absentee ballots for every election, and even our municipals do allow absentees. But the municipals, which is basically your cities or towns, they do have the ability to opt out of absentee by mail. So you would need to make sure for your municipalities, you definitely look for that. But to vote by mail absentee, typically across the board, is allowed everywhere. How do I go about requesting one? Absentee ballot request forms, they can be found on our website. We have them in our office. The state board actually has a portal now. And so you can go to the state board website and use the portal to request an absentee ballot completely online. Of course, your ballot will still be mailed to you and you'll still have to follow the instructions for having witnesses when you vote that ballot, but that can all be done online now. You mentioned witnesses. Can you explain that a little bit? The one way to have the security with the absentee by mail is all ballots have to be, after you vote it, the envelope has to be signed by the voter 
and then two witnesses or a notary. And that way, when we do get that back and our board's approving them, that is how they validate that you actually voted that ballot. And that's one of our fraud protections that we have. When we think about witnesses, can it be just anybody or can it be like, you know, a parent or a relative or do they have to be over the age of 18? Anybody over the age 18 can be a witness and they can be a family member. They could be a neighbor. They could be anybody. The only person that cannot be is a candidate or your union. How can I check my registration status? Can I only check my status online or are there other options? Uh, you can check it online. That's about the easiest way, but you can also call us and we can look up your status. We can make sure your address is correct. We can check your voter history. We can answer any questions you possibly may have. Yeah, I'd like to add to that. In the instances that I've needed to contact the Board of Elections, they have been very informative and enthusiastic. that are really just interested in forming our voters. I did have one more question. I want to clarify, can we get some real clear definitions between those general elections and the primary elections? Our primary elections, which are usually in the springtime, is how the party determines who they want to run in the general election. So when you vote in a primary, your ballot is going to be aligned with the party that you're registered. If you're registered unaffiliated, though, you do have the ability to choose. So when you go to vote and you set your name and address and that you're unaffiliated, they'll ask you which one you want. And so you'll have to pick one or the other. And this does cause a little bit of confusion because a lot of times people will come and they'll say, well, I want all of them. But that's not how a primary works. The party is trying to decide who they want to run in that general. So you can only have the one party ballot. So you would then be able to choose if you want a Democrat or Republican ballot. That's not going to change your registration in any way. It's just for that election. The only time that really makes a difference is if there's a second primary. Let's say they had 50 people running and they didn't get a good percentage during the primary, they would then go to a second primary. And so if you voted a Republican ballot in the first primary, you would have to vote a Republican ballot in the second primary. That way there's not too many people flipping around and changing in the game. During a general election, which is in the fall, November, that is where all the party people are on the ballot. If you want to vote a straight Republican, you can go through and pick all the Republicans out. If you want to do straight Democrat, you can do the same thing. Or if you really do your homework and you vote for the person based on what they stand for, you can cross over depending whatever party choices you want. If you choose not to vote in a particular contest, it's not going to void your ballot out. You can simply vote for the contest that you choose and leave the others blank if you don't feel comfortable voting in those. But during odd years, we do also have municipal elections. And so those are our elections for our cities and our towns. And we basically have at least two or more elections every year. So it is important to be familiar with what area you live in and the dynamics of the government set up around you. So if you didn't live in a municipality, you would probably only vote every two years. But if you lived in a town, you would most likely have an election you're eligible for every year. And so it is important to stay involved and educated in that process. We couldn't fit the entire session of this forum into one episode of Central Carolina Journal. If you want to hear the discussion in its entirety, we will link to the full YouTube video in our show notes for episode 2219, which you can find at www.883wuaw.com forward slash ccj. There, we will also provide a link to a civic literacy guide 
that the CCCC Library has made available. We will also provide several links to information about voter registration and options for voting in this election. But here's some quick information. Registered voters can request an absentee ballot before Tuesday, November 1st at votebymail.ncsbe.gov. This website is also where you can request a sample ballot. In-person early voting takes place between now and November 5th. If you are not yet registered to vote and want to vote in this election, this is your only option. You can learn about early voting sites for your county by going to vt.ncsbe.gov and clicking on One Stop Voting Sites. Then click on your county of residence. When you go to a polling site, you will need proof of your residence in order to vote. Learn more at ncsbe.gov forward slash registering and click on how to register. Then under voter registration deadline, click on register in person during early voting. Note that hours for early voting may differ from county to county. To vote in person on November 8th, you must already be registered to vote. Polls will be open from 6.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. Check with your County Board of Elections to find the location of the polling place where you are registered to vote. Again, all of these links will be available in the description of this episode online at 883wuaw.com forward slash ccj. Just look for episode 2219. If you're listening to this episode on a podcast app, you should find these links in the show notes. By the way, you can find all of our past episodes of Central Carolina Journal at www.883wuaw.com forward slash ccj or by searching WUAW on your favorite podcast app. And if you have an idea for a future episode, give us a call at 910-814-8859 or email us at wuaw at ccc.edu. Central Carolina Journal is a public affairs presentation of Central Carolina Community College and its radio stations, 90.5 WDCC and 88.3 WUAW. I'm Fred Brucker. Thanks for listening.